0: Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, it's my great pleasure to have on the show, Lindsay Lorenzo. Welcome, Lindsay.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Lindsay is the director of online sales and sales development at Zoom. Zoom is a video collaboration company, and in fact, I'm recording this podcast in a Zoom room. Lindsay, love the product. We're big fans here at Sales Loft.
1: i was so glad to hear that.
0: Today, we're going to talk really just about some of the things that you've learned about online sales or inside sales and sales development. Uh, We're going to do that by learning a little bit as you progress through your career. But before we do that, I want to get to know you in another way, which is to ask you first, what is your favorite sales book of all time and why?
1: You know, I've read a lot. I found that a lot of people have and have not read The Challenger Sale. I I always go back to that one. I think I like it the most, especially in sales development and running like a high velocity sales team, which is a lot of early salespeople in their sales career. I'm always suggesting, um, especially to new reps when they're learning to sell, you can you know identify with those five profiles and. For those of you who haven't read it, there's basically five different kind of modes the sellers have, profiles. There's a hard worker, a lone wolf, a problem solver. And then there's the big difference is the relationship builder and then the challenger, which is the ideal state. I've seen a ton of people just come back and say, like, hey, thank you so much. That helped me with my career. And I feel like I'm so much more confident on the phones now when I, in my sale. So I always go back to that one. I think it's just great that it, you know, that you can feel comfortable enough to kind of push your customer and go back to, you know, understanding that customer's business. It just shows that you're invested. And I think that everybody can learn a lot from kind of the basics of that book.
0: When you said that a lot of people come in as relationship builders, what is it that, how do you identify that they're more in relationship building mode than in challenger mode? What is it that they're doing that that signals that to you?
1: Yeah, I think it just goes back to just being like a consultant to that rep. You know, here's what our product will give you, but I'm here to just, you know, sell it to you and you tell me if it fits, right? And they're they don't want to push the the customer to say, like, hey, this is why it is a fit. This is what you've told me and this is how that aligns to, you know, what I'm hearing and what we do. So they really want to keep that relationship strong and hope that if they build a tight relationship and build advocates that they will, will win. And really at the end of the day, when you're just consultative, you're not you know, pushing the customer to think right. And to, to think about your product. So I, it's, it just seems to be the easiest one to, to grow on. Right. Cause most salespeople are, you know, relationship builders at heart. We all, we love to talk to people. We love to um, listen and build relationships. And that's just how I've seen a lot of new, new sales reps come in.
0: Without naming a name, can you think in your mind of a new sales rep who came in as a relationship builder that you coached into challenger mode? How did you coach them and how did you get them to make that transition?
1: You know, especially I think in sales development and having a Velocity sales team, I have a lot of people who are newer to sales who might come from more of like a customer service background. This woman that I'm thinking of in particular, she had a very strong customer service background. She was great with people. So she was great at talking and listening, active listener, which was amazing. Um, and she really just needed to build on that active listening skill. She, she could listen and she could repeat back what the customer was saying really well. But that's about where it ended, you know, and then it would just turn <laughs> directly into like, okay, well, let me tell you what, you know, Zoom can offer you. And then everything that she had listened to prior, right, and had, you know, written down in a lot of cases or just remembered, she didn't go back and leverage that later when the, the customer went to push back. So um, we spent a lot of time, you know, listening to her calls, talking through kind of, okay, like you heard them say, you know, X, Then you went into the Zoom pitch and they came back and basically recanted what they had already said and said they didn't need Zoom because you had told them that that was more money. Just making that identifier between, like, okay, I heard the customer say that. Let me now go back and push them and say, hey, well, that's what you told me. You know, tell me what I'm missing here, right? Capitalizing on that strong understanding of the customer's business because she absolutely loved that piece, right? We love to hear all the free users that come in and people who just absolutely love Zoom and their passion for it. And so if we can understand the customer's business, we can excitedly tell them, this is why Zoom is going to be great for you. And not feeling like you're going to lose that deal just because you made them a little uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, less the AEs think this is only an SDR problem. I had somebody selling to me recently and I'm very explicit about, hey, here's the business problem I'm trying to solve. Here's how I will make the decision about whether or not I'm going to do business with you. And yeah, then I spoon fed it to them on a silver platter. And then just as you described, the AE basically just went into feature and functionality demo mode. You can fake it till you make it on this. I think if you simply, even if you're going to explain the features, at least tie each feature, you know, so I'm going to talk to you about how, whatever, you can split your audio tracks on Zoom or something like that, then tie that back to the benefit of the problem we're trying to solve as opposed to just feature, 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 without those little tiebacks periodically, as you mentioned, you want to do X. Here's how this feature supports doing X. It's so it's a s- super easy and subtle shift. And I find so few people actually make it.
1: It's true. You know, we, we forget that we have these great features, but like there's value in them, right? And there's a certain price point because of these features, right? And there's a reason why and kind of tying that back together. Yeah,
0: I totally agree. Love to just ask you one other question, which is, what is the first thing that you remember selling when you were a kid?
1: Back when I was in high school and then in college, I was a lifeguard who wanted to then transition to be a swim teacher. Um, That was kind of like I started seeing that there was this need for a swim coach I actually worked at a country club. And I just noticed they didn't have, they didn't offer any swim solutions. And there were parents that were always talking about it, and like having trouble finding, you know, a swim solution for their child. And so I started just marketing myself as a lifeguard. And then before and after my shift, I would sell, I mean, this was like back in the day. So we didn't have all the lovely tech that we do now to get your name out there, but, you know, putting posters, flyers around, um, offering myself. Asked my parents if I could teach swim lessons in our pool at home, and they let me do that. So I was, I was able to just start selling myself as a resource to parents where I saw that there was a need. I later transitioned to be a nanny, um, which is pretty tough and competitive. You know, in the Bay Area, you know, selling myself there as you know somebody who stood out, making sure I had all the extra trainings, kind of set myself apart as a nanny who could offer you know, more than just myself as like a babysitter to stand above the competition. So I think I've been selling myself from an early age and that was an easy transition when I finally made it into the tech sales world.
0: Let's transition into sort of learning a little bit about what you've learned about inside sales and sales development. But I'd love to start with the interesting thing that you did when you graduated from San Jose State University. Your first job, it appears, was as an English teacher in Thailand. Why that? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes. Why did you do that? Um, I that was right after college. I wanted to go tr- travel abroad, but I've always had a really deep passion for volunteer work and helping those in need. Um, and so I had started researching kind of if I could go to maybe a third world country or somewhere that I could offer to teach English to kids. And obviously, kids are a huge passion of mine as well. And so I knew that just traveling, like backpacking abroad was not for me I wanted to do something more impactful to me personally and so I was in a house with a bunch of other people taught English at the the poorest school in Bangkok which was just eye-opening and just extreme poverty and taught them English for about three months there and I would travel on the weekends and go look at all the you know cool islands and other areas and it was just so amazing I mean just seeing meeting those kids and being able to be a part of their you know, Early education, and they're so passionate about learning. and it was huge for me as well. I learned so much there and grew so much as a young adult, kind of learning to navigate a foreign country and and also just you know teaching English to to kids. It was the best time.
0: One thing that made me super curious about that is I've done some research where I've looked at successful salespeople, and I found there were a few profiles that a number of them had before they became salespeople. And interestingly enough, teachers are one of them. There seem to be a decent amount of English and, and history teachers who, it doesn't have to be English or history, but I've noticed that pattern. In addition to attorneys who decide they don't want to be attorneys, journalists, and especially former recruiters. But if concentrating on teachers, I saw this in the data, but have you seen this anecdotally? Are there other you know, people that you've either hired or worked with in the course of your career who shared that background with you?
1: Yes, I totally have. And I think it's so cool that you're doing that research because um, currently I manage a manager who was previously a teacher. Um, Our head of sales here at Zoom was previously a teacher. And it's interesting. I've seen people transition, especially have an SDR team as a kind of that first entry into tech sales. Lots of teachers. And um, yeah, I see the correlation. I think it's probably something in that just that nurturing, helpful Mindset that every teacher has, obviously, very very hardworking people care about you know the people that they're working with, right? So you t- you go back to like you know relationship building and knowing um, how to have relationships with other people and customers. I think I mean that has to be at the core of it, right? Because they're just so nurturing and and so dedicated to their craft that they put forth the same effort when they become salespeople.
0: When you finished up the the teaching stint in Thailand, what was next for you? Did you think you were ready for sales yet, or did you pursue a different path first?
1: I, I wanted to be in sales, actually. Um, unfortunately, I graduated right when there were zero jobs back in the early 2000s, and There was just people were coming out of colleges all over the news, like college graduates could not get jobs. And I was working for an executive at Oracle at the time who was really pushing me to kind of start looking at a tech company. And I ended up actually taking a job at NASA. I worked at NASA Ames in Mountain View, completely random. I actually don't like math, but I worked in the finance department at NASA. (laughs) So you talk about grabbing a job just when you can get it. And I interviewed and weirdly got it. I was processing all the expense reports for astronauts which was a very interesting job to start with.
0: Got it. So you, you discovered that you did not like finance, which you knew going in. I knew going and, in, yeah. And then, uh, then you made the the move to Salesforce. How did you find out about the Salesforce job?
1: I made the jump to Salesforce as an SDR. So inbound, a friend of a friend worked there and I had you know heard about it. And literally, I think I remember creating my LinkedIn. I had no idea what LinkedIn was at the time. And I was like, okay, this is like a Facebook profile. I'll just make one um needed it for the interview so created that got the job and uh, you know salesforce was great it was such an impact for me personally got to learn just the ins and outs of sales right in that job and and it was my introduction to saas and i never left saas since then
0: i'm curious what were some of the other things you thought were just absolutely instrumental to you that you picked up and how did they train you on those were they you know in classroom Kind of thing was it on a job? Were there certifications, role plays? I'm, I'm super curious about the enablement inside of Salesforce.
1: Yeah, it was all of the above. It was really um, just kind of like all all inclusive of everything that you did. And I remember, you know, it was cl- a lot of classroom work. There was, you know, a really I think they called it boot camp. It was a week long, super immersive, just you know, drinking from the fire hose, as they say. And then after that, you know, assigned a mentor. I had a great mentor. I remember as an SDR. I became a mentor eventually, and I remember that, you know, peer to peer mentorship was a really big part of it. Um, they had a lot of trainings and certifications. At the time, there wasn't a ton of tech in terms of like, you know, things like Learn Core and things that you um, use to kind of manage enablement um, and kind of. People's success. So it was really a lot of just we had certifications, we'd have breakouts that we'd go to for like a half day and learn new products. Obviously, with Salesforce, you have so many products to learn. So there was always a certification, always a class. Um, But on the sales side, it was really just getting the basics, right? Like how objection handling. And um, a lot of that was face to face, a lot of it was manager to rep and then mentor to mentee. They really had all of it. It was, you know, any kind of type of training you could imagine they had it which i think was beneficial right because it was such a large sales organization that every type of learner got probably got something out of it
0: you mentioned objection handling i'd love to hear your perspective on how you coach your own team to handle objections how do you like them to to respond
1: i have an interesting role as we i run the velocity team at zoom so we are basically like SDRs were on the front lines and we are closing business for our our smallest subset of accounts um, segment. So full cycle sales, but also SDRs. So we have, you know, a lot of, formulated stuff that we give them to overcome some of our basic objections, right. Cause they're on chat. So we can have a lot of like pre-populated stuff in terms of objection handling, which helps. So I think they'll use those things to help, um, you know, when they're on the phones to kind of get those objections out of the way. But I think in its basic form, I, I go back to just, you know, tell me more about that, you know, when you get an objection because a lot of the time it's just putting up a wall or not knowing enough and, I found that when we are, you know, kind of you go back to that like relationship builder, if you're going back and you're just like, Oh yeah, yeah, we can do that. Or, you know, kind of being afraid to ask another question on top of that objection, or just kind of like flailing a little bit. If you can just stop and say, you know, tell me why that's important to you, or tell me why, you know, that's a concern. Um, you can get a little bit more information out of them. And I found that that really helps them get the objection out of the way because it's Oftentimes it's just learning and, you know, on our part as well, like maybe we're not hearing them correctly.
0: Sometimes a, an objection itself is just a question. I'm also a big fan of like all manner of data science from anywhere I can get it. And one of my big places that I love to go to is Chris Orlob over at Gong. And he's got a few great factoids on objection handling. The two that stick out in my mind is, is when someone has an objection, then just pause. And when Gong went through. I don't know how many thousands of calls they found that top performers actually pause five times longer, which sounds like a long time, but it's still less than two seconds. The problem is, is that average reps basically just immediately start to engage and or interrupt. I think more frequently, yeah, the customer. So just a, I mean, less than two seconds, but you know, give yourself a one-two count when you hear something to let your brain process it. And then the second thing, which I thought was a kind of brilliant piece of analysis from them, was that. Top performers are are almost twice as likely to actually follow an objection with a question. It's sort of like your thing, right? Which is, okay, so tell me more, which I think is a form of a question, right? It's asking for clarification.
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Ask for clarification because it's either education or like you said, they're just, they have a question that they're not getting answers to. Yeah, I love that. That's great.
0: I define a success as an SDR, by the way, as being promoted from an SDR to an AE or other, you know, sometimes sales manager or sales development manager role. So you did manage to make that transition at Salesforce. Uh, were there criteria you had to meet in order to get that promotion from SDR to inside seller?
1: Yes, definitely. You had to. Um, they had a very specific interview process. It was all very outlined. And I, you, what was great is you knew about it very early on. I think right when I was an SDR, I I knew exactly how you get promoted, what I needed to do to get there, numbers wise, and then just competencies-wise, like what I had to learn and the things I had to overcome to get there. And As an early salesperson, I think I would have, now looking back, right, I would have probably asked more questions to my manager and said, Hey, what do you think I need to do? But I just kind of went along with educating myself in areas that I thought I needed more help on. Um, And then my numbers just kind of got to the place where I was able to interview pretty quickly. And even at that time, in the early 2000s, they were pretty formulated in terms of what the process was, who you met with, when you'd hear back um what number you had to have and then consistently have up till your promotion. It was really just about checking the boxes and preparing for that interview. But a lot of the interview pieces I took down when I went to Boston, and still use today, right? Which is doing like a 30 60, 90, um, definitely did a, a demo because I think demo is as you move to like a seller, you need to be able to demo the product and Zoom, Box, and Salesforce have all had that in common for me is that they're the types of products that are you just want to show people and get them excited about it. So you need really strong demo reps. So that's something I learned at Salesforce that I still use today is making sure that's in the interview process.
0: What do you look for and and what what's important to you in in a demo?
1: Demo in general, like just an overview of what the product is you know, do you know kind of core pillars of our product? Can you speak to them and kind of that value? And then if you're in the product, like it's easy for us because we are, we are on the front lines of zoom. So we know the product really well, but you'd be surprised. A lot of people, there's just, you know, features that come out that people don't realize. And so making sure they're up to date and educated on kind of the newest stuff that's come out is always, I think a big telling piece, right? Cause you got to stay educated as these product announcements come out. And then Being able to pause, kind of right in the middle, get questions from your customer, ask them questions. One big one I think is great is if you can actually have a conversation demo, right? Like stopping and saying, hey, you know, Mr. Customer, you mentioned that X was really important to you. Here is where that is in in our product. It keeps them engaged and it makes sure that you're pointing out and showing that you listen to specific things that they say. So oftentimes we'll do a like a sheet with an example of here's the situation, here's the scenario, here's the company name, here's the conversation and discovery call you had so far and just like a little, some details. The best reps I think could do that are the ones that were able to read in that summary and find some things and then tie it directly back to the product. So make it personal to them.
0: One of the great debates in the world of the, that we live in of SaaS products with demos is whether or not to separate discovery from demo yeah, and then even uh, sort of three options, right? One is totally separate discovery and demo calls, which if you're doing a, a demo of a highly complex enterprise product, you almost need to do that, especially if you're going to configure the environment. But in the, you know, in the case of I would assume Zoom and Box, you don't necessarily need to kind of go to that. So one option is to separate them. Another one is, which I do encounter frequently as a buyer, is I basically get for lack of a better word hammered with discovery questions for whatever 10, 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. and then I get you know then they, then the rep goes into demo mode, as we discussed more often than not never tying back to the stuff we just talked about.
1: Exactly. And
0: then the third is to interleave the discovery questions into the demo, which is a very smooth thing to do. Of those three options of the separate disco and demo into separate calls or lead with discovery and then transition into demo or interleave demo and discovery, which which of those three do you like to be on the receiving end of and and or coach your reps to do?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think maybe you're a product of what you're used to. I, I tend to like to get on the phone. I'll sometimes send an email like, here's what I'm looking for. Here's what we do. Let's get on the phone and just talk through it. So kind of that demo together. But I just want to see the product and find out if this is a use case for me. That's tends to be what I tell the reps do, right? Especially in our lower segment, and like you said, we try and make sure we just show Zoom, but also we, you know, we want to answer questions and do that discovery. I've found that we can usually do that combined in one call, as long as we have some background to make it relevant. Uh, my previous company, though, a Sumo Logic, which I was with right before Zoom, was a very technical product, um, DevOps product. So, to what you, you know, similar to your point, a lot of you know these big. Companies with more technical products, you have to actually, you know, take the time to set it up for a demo. So that would be a separate discovery. But I think that there's, you know, in a, in a product like ours or a product where you feel like you can just show it, I think it's a great illustrator during the discovery, right? Like here, here's the product. Let's talk about what you see here, and and then your needs.
0: Well, uh, we're fast forwarding through, you know, a bunch of a bunch of your career, but I wanted to end with just understanding a little bit. You know, you've done something that that not that many people. Have done, but all want to do, right? Which is to progress from SDR to uh, AE to manager and then ultimately, you know, to director at some pretty killer companies. As you reflect, what advice would you give people who want to make that progression themselves?
1: I think the first thing to do is to just trust yourself and what you're good at. And, you know, I have a lot of people who ask me, like, hey, I'm an SDR manager, BDR manager. I want to make the jump to leadership, but I don't have that much closing experience. Should I go be an AE and then be a manager? And I never really know what to say to them because I I found that just like in the closing atmosphere, I knew that wasn't my thing. And I, I loved the sales development side. So it was easy for me to not focus on that. Um, if that's not a passion for you you, know, you, you do have to get closing experience in some fashion. To really escalate yourself pretty quickly. You have to think a lot about what do you want to do with your long-term career and what what's your passion. And think a little bit further than the next like couple years. Think like 10 years down the line. What are you going to be passionate about? Hopefully that, that continues. I feel lucky for me it has. So that's the first thing. Second thing I think is for any young leader who's trying to get into leadership, if you have the ability to in any way or your company helps you do it try and get a leadership coach i had a great great leadership coach from my early days as a manager um, or just a mentor even but somebody who has leadership you know under their belt and can help mentor you and coach you i think that was probably the thing that helped me elevate myself to you know a higher level and be a director right where you're more strategic and less tactical and it was really just about having somebody who was there to mentor me and partner with me and show me kind of my strengths and where I needed to work on. And it's something that sometimes you can't see on your own. So you need somebody else to help you realize it and um, help you be the best version of yourself at work. So that was hugely impactful for me. And that is huge. Just somebody who has been there who can help you get to where you want to be.
0: Most people who are in leadership roles kind of do share that league of mentors who help them. Uh, in the early part of my transition from individual contributor to manager and then, you know, director and beyond, uh, I, I relied very heavily on my stepfather, uh, whom my mom remarried much later in life, but he was a, a corporate executive. And I think that one of the most useful things that uh, he he mentored me with was it wasn't like I had regularly scheduled meetings with him, right? It was I had a particular problem I was trying to solve and I would come to him and I would ask him, hey, I'm in this situation I've never experienced it before. I don't know how to deal with it. You know, what advice do you have? And and he was always ready and willing with that advice.
1: It's huge. Yeah, because you don't have to navigate it alone. There's people out there who have done it.
0: Thanks so much. It was great learning about, about you and your progression and your tips for for how to advance in leadership. If people want to learn more, obviously, about uh, Zoom, I suspect that's a pretty easy thing. I, 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 you guys are zoom.us, right?
1: Yes, we are zoom.us. Happy to connect with anybody regarding Zoom or, you know, just sales, sales leadership, any of that. I'll give my email as Lindsay L-I-N-D-S-E-Y. Lorenzo, L-I-R-A-N-Z-O at zoom.us, zoom be zoom.com, and um Lindsay Lorenzo on LinkedIn.
0: Once again, I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Laura Hall is our executive producer. Our artwork is by Greg Klingchern. This episode was edited by Peter Lopinto. Subscribe to us on your favorite app to learn more immediately actionable best practices from our awesome guests. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.